We're starting a new series today. It's called Ready, and it's about parenting. And one of the things that I want to do is that, you know, as we talk about this, that, you know, sometimes you come to these people like, oh, they give me a lot of like how-tos and that kind of thing. And there'll be some of that, not a ton. What a huge part of this is just for vision to kind of know, okay, these are the things that, that need to matter. These are the directions we need to go and how are we going to make that happen and that kind of thing. So that's the direction we'll be looking at. To kind of kick it off though, we want to show you this video. Watch this. This is it. Are you ready? You were handpicked, chosen to protect, nurture, provide, and invest in. Nine months goes by pretty quick. Are you ready? Sleep deprivation and the constant feeling of being inadequate leaves you questioning, was I really made for such a time as this? But eventually they eat on their own, sleep on their own, and walk on their own. Are you ready? You're brave, you say to your kindergartner. You're kind, you say to your second grader. You're smart, you say to your fourth grader. Oh, but you made it. First day of kindergarten turns into last day of elementary school. Seasons change. Are you ready? Now you're a taxi driver. You walk the fine line between being their friend and being their parent. You are their biggest advocate. Your home is filled with rough housing, laughter, and a dozen pairs of shoes by the front door. Junior high flew by. You only have four years left. Are you ready? High school. Lots of firsts. First date, first job, first car, and lots of lasts. Last first day, last prom, last game. Discussions consist of life after school, college, friendships in the future. The biggest question, are you ready? The even bigger question, are they ready? Yeah, are they? You know, may I go ahead and clap? It's, um... You know, and the, you know, this parenting thing, man, it's not, you know, it's just, it's, it's a challenge, you know, for all of us. And, and again, I want you to know that, you know, we'll be talking to people that are in different seasons and different things. You know, you may have kids that are little, yours may, they may be out of the nest now and on their own and that kind of thing, but you always have a role. You always have a place. And I'll tell you too, you know, one of the challenges is, is that I, sometimes I struggle talking about marriage or talking about parenting because man, I was not perfect. I was, there was times I was not a good husband. There are times I would do stupid things as a dad. My, my middle son, Daniel is up on the front row here. He would concur with that. And, uh, thank you for not saying amen loudly. So, um, and so, but you know, it's just, so it's a challenge to do that. And, and then even after you do all the stuff, you know, your kids go through their own seasons. They have their own stuff that they, they go through as well. And, and just, you know, so sometimes I want to shrink back, but, but so, so I want you to know that I'm not coming at you from a standpoint of a guy that's done everything right, that is still doing everything right, whose kids don't have any challenges or issues because they have their own journey too. But there are things that we need to be reminded of and we can help each other in. This is a safe place to grow. It's a safe place to learn, a safe place to admit that, hey, sometimes, sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I don't do things I'm supposed to, but God still has a plan for us and a place for us, right? And what we're called to do. So I want you to leave this place not feeling like you failed. I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to give up. I don't want us to give up. I want us to rise up, right? And so that's what we want to do. Yeah, go ahead and clap. So, so anyway, grab hold of your Bibles and say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I declare this morning, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'll be taught the word of God and I'll never be the same again. 
Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Joshua 24. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Joshua's in the Old Testament. It's the sixth book of the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. While you're turning there, I want to read to you Proverbs 22, 6. It says, direct, everybody say direct. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, everybody say older. When they are older, they will not leave it. The King James says, train a child in the way they should go. And when they're older, in other words, the implication here is that we're putting things in our kids for their next season. We're putting it into them now, like if they live at home with you, putting them now so that when they're older, they'll have it to pull from, have it to draw back from, have it to be a part of their life. And so, so many times our parenting can be just reactionary. You know, we love our kids. You know, we, we want to be around them. We care about their life. And we're just reactionary. They, they want to do this. Okay, I'm going to help you do this. They want to be a part of this. All right, yeah, yeah, we're going to come up with the money. Let's do it. And I think sometimes, even because of our love, even our reactionary is well-intended. But I think we miss the point sometimes. And we have to be more intentional, more visionary in our parenting than we typically are. And so the things that I want to do for us is challenge us as to what is it that we want to put in our kids' lives. So the the example we're using throughout this is imagine that they have a suitcase and we're part of the one that packs it. So while they're living at your home, you're putting things in their suitcase. So when they leave your home, they have something that they can draw from it with, something to draw from. And then, and then even if your kids are adults now, that in a healthy relationship, your role may have changed, but you still have a voice in their life. And you've gone through seasons that they have yet to go through, or maybe that they're currently going through. And so as a result of that, then you're helping them put things in the suitcase now. Now, here's what I know. I saw a statistic the other day that said this, that when kids go to college, that 70% of them that were brought up in church leave their faith. 70%. It's incredibly high, right? I mean, you say, why is that? So, honestly, I, I don't know the reason for every situation. They're just things that we can look at. You know, I've known people that are great parents and that type of thing, and, and, and uh, you know, their, their kids may not be serving God right now. They may have walked away from their faith, and that doesn't mean that you've failed as a parent. You've done what God's called you to do. Now, here's, to me, kind of good news, and that is of that 70%, within a few years, 50% of that 70% come back. And I think in time, more do, because I do think there's something about planting that in them. And so today, here's the very, the most important thing we can put in our kids' suitcase is we want them to have their own relationship with God. We want to have their own relationship with God. How is it that I do that? What are things I can do as a parent that can begin to pack that in their suitcase right now so that in every season, in every journey that they go into, that they have that? You know, here's... Here's one of the things that happens is we raise our kids in, you know, in our relationship with God. We raise them in church. And, and sometimes if we don't make it, if we don't personalize them more, they can leave having been around our relationship with God, but never at any point did it become theirs, their own. And so we want to make sure that it's theirs, that, that they understand what that is, that they've embraced Jesus, that they've made Jesus Lord of life. And again, will they be perfect? No, I'm not perfect. So of course they won't be. But, but they know who to lean to and who, who to look at. And so today, that's what we look at. So in Joshua 24, Joshua 24, verse 14, it says this, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Now that fear is not to be like in terror, but that fear is a reverence of him, like a, 
It's you. You know, kind of such an honoring thing. It's, it's just a reverent thing that takes place. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. So he said, look, man, he said, you know, if you're going to serve the Lord, you've got to let go of the things from your past. Places that you used to run to, things that you used to hang on to. You have to let go of those things. And they, he said, you guys have a past here. You've seen other gods and other lands. And you, that was a part of your history. And you left that. So don't go back and grab hold of it again. Then he goes on to say, this he said, put for, away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Serve the Lord alone. Let me say that again. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? He said, look, don't you have to let go of the, of the things that you used to do? But he said, also in our current culture, there are things around you that are constantly pulling you, constantly luring you away from your walk, from your relationship with God, from your relationship with Jesus. You know, I've said this before, but when I grew up, that the, you know, there was a biblical voice that was fairly loud in our culture. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't the only voice, but it was one of the loudest voices. And so I was fortunate. In our culture today, it's not one of the loudest voices. One of the, the loudest voices, I think, is secular humanism. And so it tries to define what relationships, it tries to define our origin, who we are, and tries to define our purpose. It's way off because it, it's from the pit of hell itself. And so we have this responsibility and obligation, you know, to, to tell our kids about the relationship with God. But he said, look, he said, you can either go back to the things in your past or you can embrace the current culture and let that be the thing that defines who you are and where you are. He said, you can do that too. But he said, as for me, or will it be the God's Amorites whose land do you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. So one of the things that we have to do, if our kids are going to have their own relationship with God, if you're taking notes, number one is this, is that we have to set the tone spiritually as a parent. That, that we, you know, that we can't be reactionary. We have to be intentional in what we're going to do. That, that we have to direct, you know, what matters to us as a family? What are the things that are important to us? What, what are those things that are going to take place? You know, I, I've said this before, and again, it's the most clear thing that I can give. And so, and, and I think in our culture, we need to hear it a lot, but you're probably going to, you may already be tired of hearing it, but that's okay. I'm going to keep saying it. And that is, again, that like for us in our home, is like, you know, if you live here, then we, we go to church. It's what we do. And so I'm, I'm proud of all, all, th all three of our kids, man. They, they do that. Even in their imperfections or challenges, stuff like that, they, they go to church. And so it's one of those things that we set the tone. So many times we see people, and, and you know, and I, I don't want to be critical. I know we love, I think, you know, almost everybody I've ever met loves their kids, wants to do the right thing. We're all, we're all just trying to find out what that is. But I've seen people sometimes that, that they're great at dropping their kids off at church, they're great at, you know, just at taking them and then leaving and going to McDonald's or doing their thing or, or whatever it is that they want to do. But the truth of the matter is, is that you're supposed to set the tone. Not, you know, not, not be reactionary and, and follow their lead or let them determine. You set the tone. You set the tone as a parent as to what's going to matter to us, as it, the things that are important to us. You know, right here, Joshua made the statement. He said, as for me and my family, he made that statement. As for me and my family, 
this is what we're going to do. As for me and my family, we will we'll serve the Lord. And so for our kids to have their own faith, they have to grow up in a home where the tone is set in that direction. As to the things that we do, it impacts the way that we as a family, you know, what we commit to. It impacts what we as a family, you know, where we give our time to. Now, and again, in all of this, you know, you can get religiously crazy and just destroy, you know, sometimes people, they, their response to this is they get very legalistic and their kids grow up hating anything because they compare that to God and it's not the same thing. And they grow up hating it because they didn't really see a relationship with Jesus. They saw legalism. So, so we, we have to understand and just let it be life-giving. But life-giving also requires commitment from us. So, so we have to set the tone as to what we do, as to what our kids see. You're, you're here today. And, and that, you know, there are things that you do in your family. And we'll, we'll talk more about this, the point one and two kind of tie in together. But, you know, it was one of those things that with our kids that, you know, even simple things like praying over a meal praying with them before they went to bed. I know that there was one season that, you know, when the kids were younger, that, um, that, you know, the boys had their own room and then Ashley had her own room. She hated being in a room by herself. So she was always making deals with them, especially David. Daniel was a little smarter business-wise than David was, but, but she would offer to clean his room if she could sleep in the room with him for like two months. And so, you know, that was his pot of porridge. Yes, you can have that and have my birthright with it. And so... Um, so she would do that, and then when night came, he's like, what are you doing here? And she goes, well, you said that I could sleep with you guys if I did, you know, if I cleaned the room. He goes, oh, no, that's not happening. <laughs> so she went to the judge and the arbiter. That was me. And so she said, Dad, I did this. And I said, did you make that commitment? He goes, yes. And I go, then you're going to keep your word. So, so she got to be there with him. And, of course, Daniel didn't care. He just loved the conflict. And so he was, uh, um, but... So they would be there. And so I'd read, I read, you know, one time I read the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, because it get painted a picture of C.S. Lewis painting a picture of the gospel in simple terms. I remember one time we went through this thing at night. I talked to them about the Ten Commandments. You're like, the Ten Commandments with your kids? Well, it, I just wanted to, them to know, like, why does this matter to God? Why, why would he not want us to have any God but him? And then the next time, what, you know, or we'd spend a few nights on that. Or why would he not want us to take his name in vain? Why, you know, why is it important that we set aside time for him? Why would he want you to honor your parents? Why, why would he not want you to bear false witness of people? Why would he not want you to steal or to murder? Why would he not want you to commit adultery or to covet? What does that say about God and who he is and how he wants us to deal with each other? And that that's not just what we do, but we are the people that don't bear false witness. We are the people that don't take things that aren't ours. And to have those conversations. And so, so we would do those things. And so our job was to set the tone of that. We're packing their suitcase. And even now as they're out of the home, my hope is that we have great relationships. I, you know, uh, my hope is that whenever they trust me to give them counsel, that I'm giving them godly counsel to, to give them direction. And again, they're not, they're not obligated to do what I say. But I, I want to I set the tone because I want their suitcase not filled 
with my relationship, but I want in their suitcase that they have their own relationship with God. So that in every season that they go, that they know what to do or they know who to talk to or who to seek in that. And for them, just like it is with me, it's a growth process. So number one is this, is that set the tone spiritually as a parent. If we want them to have their own relationship with God, set the tone spiritually with them as a parent. And so um, where he said this, he said, as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. Look at number two, if you would go with me, would to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. That's the book right before Joshua. Deuteronomy 6 verse 1 says this. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. And you and your children, everybody say children. Children. And grandchildren, say grandchildren. Grandchildren. So man, God's generational. You and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you'll have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Now listen, repeat them. Everybody say repeat them. Who too? Repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. At church? No, when you're at home. Talk about them when you're at home. And when you're on the road, when you're traveling together, and when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, you know, if we say, well, how do your children learn about God? Well, we take them to church like, you know, at least, you know, one or two Sundays a month. So, like, they're there for like an hour and a half on a long day. Well, that's not enough. Matter of fact, it's funny, he didn't mention synagogue and that at all. He mentioned their home. Talk about them in your home. When you, when you get up, when you travel, when, you're, when you go to bed, you know, keep them around and that type of thing. So, it should be a part of our everyday life. And so, if you want to, if we want our kids to have their own relationship with God, then one of the things that has to happen besides us having that realization that we want to set the tone, the second thing is this, is if you're taking notes, and that is make your relationship with God a part of their everyday experience. Let them see how your relationship with God has impacted you personally. Let them see that. That's where they learn. Let them watch you to see how to pray. Let them watch you to see how to worship. Let them see how, they, how to conduct their affairs. Well, Pastor Rick, man, I just do so many dumb things. Yeah, me too. And they will too. Let them see how we respond when we make mistakes. There are times I have to look at my kids and go, me and their mom would have an argument. And, you know, and even, you know, and often it wasn't my fault. But the truth, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I thought you would really enjoy that better than you did. So I'm going to pull back from that one. Usually it was my fault. And so um, ask her, she'll agree. So here, um, 
But I, oftentimes my kids would hear me say, hey, look, guys, and I'd already apologized to Tina. Guys, I, I want you to know I'm, I'm sorry. I got, I got mad at your mother, and I shouldn't have talked to her that way. shouldn't have said that, and so I, I'm going to ask you to forgive me as well. Well, you shouldn't have to apologize to your kids. Well, who are they going to learn it from? Clearly not you. I want to learn from me. I've had to apologize to them. Hey, I'm sorry I didn't handle that well. I've got mad at them over dumb things. I had to go back and apologize. I asked them to forgive me. And then other times, I, they've, whenever we were trying to figure out what God wanted us to do in a situation, I didn't keep it a secret from them. We'd pull them in and talk. Hey, this is what we think God wants us to do. And I, you know, I remember when we were coming here, you know, that we were, you know, going to start the church. And I remember that there, they'd been here for a little bit and all three of them, David, Daniel, and Asher, they were part of us getting things off the ground and helping. And, and, you know, there were times they, I'm sure they would have rather done things, but there were just certain times we had all hands on deck. I, I remember that we were going to, you know, we, we needed to hand out flyers for Easter and it was so cold. And we had all these door hangers, and we had to drive the van. And sadly, none of them had license, were licensed to drive the van. So I had to sit in that hot van while they drove around, while they walked around and handed out flyers. <laughs> and, you know, they, they learned what a relationship with God is about. <laughs> but I remember when uh, a young lady that, that David went to school with started coming to church here. And so she was telling me, she said, he was in my class. I met him. And I asked him why he was here. And he said this. We've come here to help, to help my dad start a church. I never knew that was a narrative in his head. That he believed the reason why that they came here was to be a part of this. Well, that was because when we talked about that decision, I just walked in one day and said, hey, we're leaving. Something we prayed about together, talked about together. Now, again, and this is not coming from a guy that, I use myself as an example because I never want you to think like, now that guy's really good. Because then you start looking for the, for the flaws. I got plenty of dents, okay? There's plenty of marks. You don't need to look very hard. But just to be a part of that, to, to walk with us in that. You know, Pastor Aaron preached a message uh, a while back, and I was speaking at another church, and Ashley sent this to me. It meant so much to me. She said, she said his message was good. She said, his message made me think about my childhood. She said, there was never a moment in my life where I didn't know that you loved and honored the Lord. And I was like, really? And she said, e even when life was hard, I always saw you seeking the Lord for answers and always endeavoring to do the right thing. I'm grateful that that's her memory because she also saw times when I wasn't doing the right thing. Each one of my kids. And so they're merciful. I believe I've taught them mercy and it's served me because they've had to extend it to me at times. But, but in that, that they have to see us live out our relationship with God. Do they see you pray? Do you talk to them about how you're going through a place? And I know that you've got to consider their age, but hey, this is the challenge that I'm, that I'm going through. And this is what I, this, you know, this is what the scripture says about it. And this is what the word says. And so this is the direction that I want to go? Do, do they get to be a part of that? Where, where are they going to see that from? 
I didn't want my kids to have to discover that from somebody else. I didn't want them to know what prayer looks like. So in our everyday life, we prayed over our food. We prayed before they went to bed. You know, there'd be times we're going through things or just sometimes I might share something. You know, when we started the church, you know, the, I remember our first Sunday that we had a bunch of friends show up. So we had over 120 and we were excited about it. And then the next week reality set in because they, they all went back to their church and we had 40 some people. And so I remember we worked and they were part of it, a huge part of it, all three of them. And I remember the first Sunday that we had over 100 on just a normal Sunday and I came home. And I said, guys, we had more than 100 people in church day. They got to hear about Jesus. We got to talk about it. They, they cheered. They cheered. Because they, they were part of it. They saw. They, they made sacrifices too. They did things too. They got to learn what it's like, even in their own mistakes, to see that God still loves us and uses us even when we're struggling. Do you know why? Because they saw me. I didn't make excuses for my mistakes. I owned them. At times I had to be forgiven. At times I had to forgive people. I wanted to respond the right way whenever people were critical or they said things, sometimes even lied about us. That we wanted to respond right because I wanted them to see that. And, and they wouldn't see it. You know, in church they would hear about it, but it's so powerful when you go beyond hearing about it and you see it. And, and again, I know you're like me, that this can feel overwhelming because the minute we start doing that, the devil begins to point out all our flaws. You're not qualified. You can't do this. Hey, your kids aren't perfect either. Let them see how an imperfect vessel serves God. They can learn that from you. They can see that in you. Rise up to that. Be that. God's trusted you with your kids. I don't care what the devil tells you, how big a failure you feel like. Receive the mercy and grace of God and receive his forgiveness. And then be that voice and be that presence in their life. When you rise up, when you go to bed, when you wander, when you walk around the house, whenever you, you go on trips that make it a part of your family's story is who Jesus is to you and how he became a part of your life. And when that becomes the common thing in their world, the normal in their world, then at some point it becomes a part of their story too. And they begin to talk about how Jesus became a part of their world. And they're not afraid to share their failures because they've heard you share yours. And they're not, they're not afraid to forgive themselves for when they failed because they've seen you forgive yourself and get back up and go back after it. And they're not afraid to serve and commit because they've seen you serve and commit and be involved and do things in the house of God for the people of God. That you're that to them. And so as they begin to do that and they have their own relationship with God because they've seen us as, as we have made our relationship with God a part of their everyday experience. So that whenever they leave your house, they leave with this. Their own relationship with God. Because they've seen it, they've seen it like, you know, done in front of them, modeled in front of them. They've seen how you worship. What does worship look like? They've seen that we look to the Bible. They've seen in the things that we do and how we serve and what takes place in our home and, and all of those things because they've been able to watch us, even flawed, imperfect, doubting ourselves, us. 
as we yield that flawed, imperfect, doubting ourselves vessel to Jesus. They get to see this, and this becomes a part of their life, and we get to pack it in their suitcase for when the time they leave home, they get to take that with them. And they need, that's the one thing they need in every season of their life, every season, in their kids' season, in, in, their, in their youth season, as they're single, as they, as they begin to court, and then as they get married in their marriage, in their parents' season, as they get older, and, and, and as, they, you know, as, as they move into different areas of their season, they need, they need that right there to navigate their way through every season of their life. And we as parents will make it our desire. We won't just be good reactionary parents, but we'll have vision for our kid's life. And we'll say, look, man, I want to pack this in their suitcase so that when they leave our house or when they leave this season that they've heard me over and over again, even out of my house, talk about how much Jesus loves them and how he's worthy of us surrendering our life to him and giving ourselves to him. And as a result of that, our family experiences that surrender before anybody else does. And they experience that growth before anybody else does because they have their own relationship with God. Because one of the things we've done is we've modeled what a relationship with God looks like in front of them. Because we want them to leave with that. So number two is this. Make your relationship with God a part of their everyday experience. Let's look at number three and we'll close with this. Go with me if you would to Psalms 127. Psalms 127 verse 1. Psalms 127 verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. For God gives, let me say this, kind of a side note, man, if you're struggling because of things going on in your life, getting rest, embrace this verse. God gives rest to his loved ones. King James says to his beloved you're his beloved. He gives rest to you. Goes on to say, children, everybody say children. children. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. So first of all, he tells us that children are a gift from the Lord. I remember Tina and I, we got married. We said, we're going to have a kid in four years. Two years later, we were welcoming our first son. And so it was just, it was like the worst time in the world. We had no health insurance. We didn't make enough money. We're living in a rat infested. Not, that's not true. That's not true. We're living in a mouse infested duplex. We're laying in bed one morning and Tina goes, what are you doing? I'm like, that's just quit messing, you know, with, with my feet. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. And she pulls back the bed and there's a mouse there like hanging out. Hey, what's happening? You know, we put out five, no exaggeration, put out five mousetraps one night. And I heard, I mean, like within an hour's time, I heard this snap. Tim is like, snap, snap. I don't know if we were like the main layover for Mouseville, but I'm just telling you, that we had, you know, and we even put out like mouse bait. They went through a whole trial. I remember <laughs> I was watching TV one night and I see a mouse kind of stumbling across our carpet like he's just down two fifths of Jack Daniels. I'm like, what have you gotten into? And eventually he kind of just rolled over and I'm like, dude, I'm not rubbing your belly. I mean, he was, he was, he was dying. And my wife is pregnant in the middle of this luxury that her husband has given her. Welcome to the Burke Taj Mahal. I mean, it was, 
And then, you know, I had a little secret that she didn't know, and that is I don't like babies. I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, you said they're a gift. Like, can we take it back as a return policy? I don't know, you know. And so, we, you know, I'm like, and I, she probably won't go. I, like, I was working with teenagers. I really like teenagers. I'm like, can we, can we you know, can we adopt that until it's 12? We'll take over then. I'm, she probably, so I kind of threw it out there as a joke to see how she would react. It wasn't a good, good conversation. So, um, but man, when he showed up, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, it was one of those things. There was a love there that I never knew existed. I remember I held him up and dedicated him to the Lord. I did that for all three of our kids. And it was just one of those things that, that in it that, I, I mean, just all of a sudden this gift, this responsibility, this. And the truth of the matter is that it's not just the ones that are born to you, but the ones that come to you. That their gift that you have, that when you're given a voice and a presence in a child's life, it's no small thing. It's no small thing. They're a gift, and it says this, children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. What do you do with an arrow? You pull it back, and you find the target, and when you're finally settled on the target, you release it. And the momentum of that decision to pull it back and aim it carries it to the target. Let me ask you a question. Where are you aiming your kids? What's the target? Well, I just want to be good people. That's not a bad target. But let's raise the bar a little bit. What if we make them love Jesus people? And I mean, really love Jesus. I mean, won't that make them good people? If they really, if they really know what loving Jesus means, it, it'll, it'll make them good to other people. It'll make them good to their community. It'll make them good to their family. We, we have to aim them. And so number three is this, is that, you know, not, not only do you have to set the tone in your household, not only do they have to see you demonstrate, but as far as they go, you have to be intentional in the direction you want them to go. Be intentional. Help them make good decisions. I see different things in my, you know, my kids, you know, I, I know Ashley, she's kind of a, a go-getter. I know Daniel's very tender-hearted in that you know, he can't he won't carry grudges or anything like that he'll he'll apologize I know David is kind of a, a do right thing I remember when he was like in the sixth grade he called us one time he was at some kid's birthday party and he said dad they're listening to music here you want me to listen to that was not a phone call I was expecting to get from a kid I said hold on just a minute I don't know what to tell him It's, they're listening to music, and I, so I'm glad he called, but I mean, you know, I, I don't, uh, like, I, I, probably, you know, I don't know what it is. I knew it wasn't like, you know, there wasn't a bunch of profanity-laced stuff and things like that, but it was just in his mind that this is what we listen to, this is what we do. And so finally, I said, well, there's a room you can go to and it not be so loud that's not like, you're not like in their private bedroom or something like that. And he goes, yeah, and I said, well, let's, let's see how that works. So he got a phone, I'm like, I, I don't know if I gave him the wrong advice. Should I went over and picked him up, you know? Should I have just like, yeah, I, I don't know. Should he have turned the tables over with money change? I don't know, you know, so. <laughs> but, but with each one of them, that those things that we recognize them, that we aim that. We aim them in the direction that God has called them to go. And that doesn't happen on accident. It's not reactionary. Oh, hey, you want to do this? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, let me help you. Oh, you want to do it? Hey, no, no, it's like, this is who God has trusted you with us. 
He's trusted us with you. And so we know the things that he wants in your life. Now, there's some things that will be unique to you that are your gifts, your desires, that they're unique to you as a person, but there's other things that we know as parents that you may not discover on your own without our help. And so we want to we on purpose aim you in the direction that God has called you to go. What direction is that? That, you know, to have a relationship with him, to, to serve him, to, to be, you know, in his relationships, to know what godly relationships look like, you know, in his church, to know what his obligation or their obligation responsibilities are in their community, how God has called them to be a part of that and lift it up. Because in, on purpose, intentionally, we're aiming them so the day that they're released from our hand, that they're headed to a mark. And so we do that. And as a result of that, it plays a role in getting them to a place where they have their own relationship with God. Now, you may be doing all these things and you pack that in their suitcase and they leave. And maybe it's years before they take this out of their suitcase. But here's what you know. It's there when they're ready to respond. It's there when, you're re when they're ready to respond because they still have a free will of their own. Oh, I failed as a parent. Hey, their story's not over yet. You haven't failed. You've done what you're supposed to. Why aren't they what they're supposed to be doing? I don't know. I just know this. You've done what you're supposed to. You put it in their suitcase. It's there. And at some point in their trip, man, we need to pray that they'll pull that out and go, I remember in my home, these were the things that mattered to us. And it wasn't perfect, but it was the place that was safe for me. Maybe it's time for me to have this too. We're intentional in how we aim them. They... They see what a relationship with God looks like, even in our imperfection, because it's modeled in front of them. We talk about it. And we set the tone like in this house. I don't know what Billy or, or you know, Alice's or Susie's home is like, but I know in this house, this is what our home is like. We set the tone because we want them to have, when they leave our place, their own relationship with God. That's what God has called us to do. I want you to just, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. Just spend a moment, if you're a parent, pray for your kids. If you're a grandparent, pray for your grandkids. Don't, don't let the devil tell you that your voice doesn't matter in their life. That's just not true. Don't let the devil tell you that, you know, that because you're not the perfect parent that you know, there's just no way. That's just not true. God, God will use you as, a, as an imperfect parent. You know how I know that? Because there are no perfect parents. We're all flawed and he trusts us because he knows that his grace can change their story just like he's changed ours. Just spend a moment just praying over your kids, man. What a privilege to lift their name up before God. What a privilege to lift your grandkids' name up before God, to take them into the throne room, into his presence. Father, I pray for my kids. I pray, Father, that you would just visit them in their thoughts, in their circumstances, in whatever season of life they're in. If it's a season of celebration, then just let there be a time of just rejoicing. If it's a season of transition, just give them peace. If it's a season that's hard and difficult, be their strength and encourager. Father, I lift up my grandkids before you right now. And I pray that as, we care, as I carry them into your presence, 
that you would reveal to them what your plan is for their life and what your purpose is for them. Jesus, my heart's desire is that I know the world they live in now, but I know there'll be a time where I leave this place and it'll be a world without me, but it won't be a world without you. And I pray that they learn to trust you so that when I'm not here, they know that you'll never leave them. Just do a work in them, Lord. Grow us. If we lift our kids up before you and our grandkids, Father, we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. I pray for parents that are struggling right now that deal with shame and guilt. I pray they'd receive the mercy of God and forgiveness. Let them operate in humility. If they need to ask for forgiveness, let them do that. It's so healing. For those that have been misunderstood, I pray, Lord, that they would just continue to operate in the love of God and in faith. Father, just help them in the name of Jesus.